Go ahead, buddy. I don't know. Oh, man. Oh, oh, man. Um, well, I was, yeah, we'll do story. I can do story time. We'll do testimony. The Baptists like testimonies, right? Like, we're about that. Um, yeah. Um, so I'll try to do a short version of, of my life. The, so I was raised the son of a, of a pastor. Oh, I'm not like on that thing, aren't I? Okay, there we go. Um, and I was raised in sort of a assemblies of God, uh, uh, style church. It wasn't directly af- affiliated, but sort of a same same theological um, convictions. So yeah, so I grew up a, a PK, uh, which is why I look this way. And the um, the uh, and so I, I had no desire to be involved in ministry of any kind. Uh, not that I wasn't a didn't grow up a Christian, but I was like, yeah, no, that's my dad does that. I'm gonna do other things. And so I was in a I was in a band. So I was in like a Christian rock band and um and after high school i moved to seattle with that with that band and toured up and down the west coast for for a couple years and um and then eventually it was like i think i have to grow up and make money and stuff so they don't we were never we were always just city to city and barely making it and it was fun but uh at some point you're like all right i don't think this is a long-term strategy and so i moved to Phoenix, um, I started, uh, leading worship at, uh, at a large church in, in Phoenix, Arizona. And, uh, cause the transition from like struggling Christian rock star to like big church worship leader is really seamless. Like you're <laughs> like, that's, in fact, most worship leaders are that guy. They're like, Hey, I didn't quite make it in the music industry. They're like, we'd love to have you here. And so, um, I did that. And, uh, about that time, I did that for about a year in, um, and I sort of started really, that's when I started really asking kind of deep theological questions and, um, and realized that I believed, uh, a lot of things just because it's what I've been told and I hadn't really studied any of it out for myself and I'd only kind of been raised in one way of thought and not that I was certain it was wrong or anything, but, um, I was like, I should probably know as opposed to just regurgitating this stuff. I've never looked at this stuff for myself. And so I quit and spent about five years uh, studying theology and church history um, pretty rigorously um, and then landed on uh, Martin Luther and the Reformation. And after really comparing all the theological traditions and reading all the, the doctrinal works and, and dogmatic texts from all these different traditions, kind of landed on that one and, uh, and so then I started, uh, writing, um, and so I started, I started blog and I was blogging and some people started reading that and I started Bible study, which got out of hand and became a church. And so then all of a sudden I was kind of tossed into a role of pastor that I didn't want and wasn't looking for, but was there. Uh, and so that, then I started doing a podcast with a guy that was an Old Testament scholar and it was called 40 Minutes in the Old Testament. And that's, that's sort of where Christ's old fast got shaped between me writing and uh, this my friend Chad Bird writing, and then us doing this podcast together, and then that podcast did really well, and people liked it, and so we were like, we should do a New Testament version of that, and so I uh, asked Eric if he would be interested in doing that, and he did that. We ended up meeting up with another group called 1517, um, who wanted to do, uh, I was doing an event, because uh, some of that stuff was really starting, people were starting to be really interested in it, so I did an event in 
Orlando, Florida. I was doing a conference there and, uh, we had a, we had a, we had a pretty decent sized following and people, and we, we had a bunch of people come out, but we didn't have any money. And so, and conferences take money to put on. And so someone was like, Hey, there's this group 15, 17. They're kind of into the same stuff that you do. You should hook up with them. And, uh, so I ended up getting, reaching out to them. They were interested. And so we partnered up to do that. And I've never stopped working with them since. Eventually they just ended up hiring me essentially. And they said, Hey, we like all your, all the stuff you're doing. Let's, let's have you do that with us over here full time. And so that was in 2017. But that happens. So yeah, that's that's the long that's that's the shortest I can make that I think. But yeah, like, that's, you covered a lot of ground. Yeah. Man. Congrats. Thanks. Yeah. So that's uh, what it is. Yeah, my, my, I'll try. I'll, I'll tell it from a different angle. When I was 14 years old, I was invited by a friend of mine to go to a youth group that he was attending. I had no interest in church at all. I had been to church a few times as uh, I shouldn't say a few times, but you know, off and on with my parents and, and things. My parents had been. Uh, saved during what was called the Jesus People Movement in California, which is basically when a bunch of hippies turned from drugs to the Lord, you know, and my parents were sort of part of that movement, went to churches associated with that kind of as a kid, never wanted anything to do with it. But again, was invited to a youth group when I was 14, had no interest in going, and then my friend mentioned that a particular girl went to the youth group, and I suddenly found interest in the Lord and the things of the Lord. This is like such a very typical story of how the Lord uses a pretty young lady to draw a young male into the youth group. So um started going to the youth group, uh, was determined to rebel from my first time there. I was a smoker at the time. I was 14 and I was smoking Marlboro Reds. And uh, when I arrived, I decided as the youth pastor was calling everybody into the youth group, I decided to keep on smoking my cigarette to make sure he saw me, to make sure that he knew exactly who he, was, who he was dealing with when he called me in. I wanted him to kind of get angry at me so I could prove that these people were all self-righteous, judgmental jerks. And uh, to my great shock and awe, he didn't take the bait at all. As a matter of fact, he said, uh, hey, just when you know, what, uh, whenever you're done with your SIG, just, uh, you know, you're come, come on in and join us. And I was like, Psh. like, come on, man, like, get angry, you know, like, what are you doing? Uh, so I, I, you know, finished my cigarette, went into uh, went into the youth group, saw the girl there, uh, saw different people that I had never met before, ended up listening a little bit to what the youth pastor said that night, found him to be different than any other exper- uh, any other Christian leader I had ever heard because he was transparent and real and vulnerable and honest about the fact that he was still a sinner, which was super weird for me to hear a pastor say something like that and to admit to struggling. Um, and then that week, I got a postcard from him thanking me for coming and letting him know that he'd been praying for me. And I was like, man, you're being nice. I smoked in your face. You know, like, <laughs> what are you doing? Uh, and besides, the girl still went there that I was interested in. So I went again the next week, eventually made friends there, started getting involved in activities that they would invite me to do. All the while, still smoking cigarettes and doing all the, the rebellious stuff. But they would let me... To sort of hang around. Long story short, um, it became a Christian there when I was 19, uh, had a sense of, uh, being called into pastoral ministry. Uh, lo and behold, 10 years later, that same pastor, uh, who had welcomed me into the youth group had really become and still is to this day my pastor. 
and, and it, I mean, still, I, I call him and I'll talk to him about anything going on in my life. Anyway, when I was 29, he said he was ready to uh, move on from that church and asked if I would take over that church as the pastor, and I did. So, the same church that I became a Christian in very, very uh, hesitantly and sort of kicking and screaming was the church I eventually became the pastor of some 15 years later at 29. Pastor there, pastored in New York City, and in the course of events, uh, met Dan and the folks of 1517, and, and here we are in West Virginia today. So, yeah. Any other questions or thoughts on clarification? I, I did quit smoking, just in case you were curious. Yes. I did not. No, that would have been that would have been the cherry on top. She had no interest in me. The Lord, the Lord made a covenant with me, but she had no interest in making a covenant with me. None. Yes. All right, Carol McAvoy. <laughs> I want to know about. I think you both study and have boys. Both of you. What's that? Uh, your children, your family. You said you both of you have what three boys? I, yeah, I have three boys: sixteen, fifteen, and ten. Okay, and uh, I have I have one daughter, thirteen. Oh, okay. So you do have teenage kids. I was wondering, what are um, are you dealing with any issues right now with everything they're learning in school, or do you homeschool your children? And what do you say to them about all this stuff that's coming out that you know our kids are being bombarded with? And I'd like to know how you guys are handling that. Yeah, I think I think um, so. I do not homeschool. Uh, I was homeschooled, um, and as was I my, my last two years, but for very different reasons. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I was homeschooled. I, I was one of I'm one of six kids, so I came from like a big big family, you know, uh, homeschool co-ops, all that all that stuff. And uh, I'm not opposed to it, uh, but uh, I do I do sort of reject the idea that so. Sometimes we can act like the like sin is out there somewhere trying to get a hold of your kid, uh, but that's not how it works. Uh, the sin is like right in here in every single person, uh, and it's if you want to homeschool, it's great. If you don't, I think that's fine too. I think that's all personal decisions. And but I think if the reason you know that somebody homeschools is to save their kid from, you know, hearing about things or, or they're going to, or the world's going to get them. You're sort of prolonging something that is, they're going to inevitably encounter. And as opposed to having to encounter, encounter it in degrees where you can kind of address those things with them. And if you're a, a parent that's hands on, you, you can address these things. They're going to get bombarded with it all at once. There's no way, there's no way to protect them indefinitely unless you want to join a cult and, you know, live in a, a commune or something. Um, so the way that um, that I've done it, it, first of all, obviously, I think there's, I, there's a lot of talk about this sort of stuff. And I mean, I don't do a ton of cultural issue kind of things, but practically, since I do have a kid and I've had to do some of this, obviously, it's different state to state. So I mean, Eric's in California. It's probably a little bit different there. I live in Arkansas. So it's not as though the degree. It is a little bit. Different. It's a little bit different. Like so, they. I'm not. There's not like this affront of of all of these like insane things being fed to my kid by the teacher. That's not really a thing that like 
our particular school board in like our town in, Ar- in Northwest Arkansas would like ever put up with. So I don't have I don't have a ton of that going on, but there's still things like I mean, there's a lot of, uh, you know, sexual orientation stuff. I mean, they still there's still, you know, gay kids and trans kids. And that's I mean, even in Arkansas, that's a thing. And they, and so there's things like that that you have to talk about with them. Um, and I've found that it's better. Um, it's better whatever you're going to do. Uh, it's better to just sort of address them as they, as they show up and you can sort of build, construct this worldview one brick at a time as opposed to just protecting and isolating and then they get thrown out into it and they're like, wait a minute, we didn't talk about any of this stuff. What is going on? I've never experienced any of these things. I'm getting a flood of this stuff. I get the fear, um, that parents fear, uh, feel about their kids being, um, um, you know, exposed to, to certain things that they, that they don't think are going to be healthy for them, but that's the world. And I don't think it's changing anytime soon. And so you have, you have to deal with it and you have to, uh, prepare them as best you can. And, um, and it, it is a fine line because you have to teach them also how to act in, in, uh, in, in ways that are compassionate and, and gracious and, and kind. Um, while also, you know, where you say, hey, there's certain things that that we believe about whatever it is. Uh, but then again, you also have to treat everyone as someone whom God deeply cares about um, and died for. And so uh, it's it's a lear- it's an experience. I mean, it's uh, I do I do think that there's a there's a real opportunity there uh, to sort of bring up a generation that. We don't have any choice but to to deal with complicated things early, and I think that we've seen. And I don't know how it is here, but millennials don't go to church. Um, the generation, the generation that that was isolated from the world, left the church. Now, when I was growing up, there was it was there was a lot of talk in the pulpit about all the terrors of the world and like and keeping yourself unstained from the world and all of this kind of stuff. And everyone hyper protected their children. And I know a lot of my friend group, now I'm not a millennial, but it's just a little bit older than that. But most of the kids that were my age that I went to church with, they don't go to church. Their kids don't go to church. I would argue it doesn't work. Um, I don't think, I think that this is true all across the board. If you look at the statistics, those like people's children, um, boomers children, like they don't go to church. And so I think that that did not work. It did not work to try to protect their stuff and don't listen to that music and don't watch that thing. And, and you have to moralize everything and protect them from the sin out there. I don't think it worked. Um, and so I'm not guaranteeing that a different approach is going to work, but I do think that if it, did, it is broke, so we might try to fix it. And that would be to say, okay, um, we can't play the game of trying to protect you from every negative influence, but what we can do is try to actually have real honest conversations about the world as it is and how you are, and how you're going to encounter it. And I do think the earl, that you should do that earlier than later, um, so that you can do it gradually and incrementally and you don't have to just flood them with it. That was a very long answer, but it's a complicated thing. I don't know if it was helpful at all, but. Well, I have, I mean, as I said, I got three boys and we, we've sort of done it all. I mean, we homeschooled our boys for a couple of years in Staten Island, New York. And then when we moved into Manhattan, 
we enrolled them all in public school, and uh, they were the kind of public school classrooms where the teacher would say, just call me Billy Jean and tell me what you want to do today. <laughs> Voila. You know, I mean, it was very, so very, very different than, uh, you know, a homeschool environment before. And uh, very, very, you know, they would use the term progressive. You know, the school is very progressive in Manhattan. Uh, and, and so we've done a little bit of everything. We've homeschooled, we've public schooled, we've done all of it. Uh, and, and here's what I'd say no matter what. Um, you know, at least, and this is just, goodness, I mean, this is my experience still being a struggling parent trying to figure out what to do. Half the time I'm throwing stuff up against the wall seeing if it sticks. But for what it's worth, we've taken the tack of always talking to our children about what they're learning in school and then trying to shape what they learn through a biblical worldview, through a biblical lens. And I, I think if you're doing that, whether you're homeschooling or whether they're going to public school, I think you're doing about as much as you can. I mean, ultimately, what we need to do is train up and equip our children so that they're, so that they can think for themselves about how to, uh, address these things that they'll encounter in the world because it is a reality, as Dan says. Um, I was homeschooled for my last couple of years. I was, it was, I was homeschooled because I failed out of school after my second year. And it was either I go to continuation school and become a gang member, which I really would have been terrible at. Or my parents were like, well, we'll homeschool you so you don't go to prison, you know. Um, and so I, that was a, a separate story. So I was homeschooled out of necessity. Um, but the, the homeschool network I was a part of, and again, this is just anecdotal, but the homeschool network I was a part of uh, was almost entirely consistent of kids that had only been homeschooled and were from families that were very, very afraid of the world. Very, very much wanted to keep their children away from the world. And I can just tell you from my, from these people, um, the vast majority of those kids, as soon as they got into college, no matter where they went, no matter how Christian the college was, went through terrible, terrible seasons of terrible rebellion. Because it was the first time that they had kind of been exposed to any of it. And it all, as the author of Hebrews says, Looked pleasurable. Sin looks pleasurable. And so if they're not equipped to deal with it as they're growing up, as you said, Dan, in degrees, and to sort of think through this even as they're growing up, and to, then they will. They will experience it. And this was just my experience seeing that. So I just always try to be very conscious of what my kids are learning and then try to correct what's, what's not in line with biblical teaching and try to affirm that which is in line with biblical teaching. I, we, you know, we're still figuring it out, so ask us in 10 years if we succeeded. <laughs> yeah. I have a question. Sure. So, earlier you guys were talking about some of the difference between pastor and lay people. And a lot of, like, I've worked a job until I moved here, like a normal job, sales, doing all that thing. Mm-hmm. What would you suggest? Parents who need help instructing their kids in a biblical worldview when they're still trying to figure out what that is themselves. Does that make sense? Yeah. Uh, what, what tools or resources are available that you give congregants or you know that kind of thing? Uh, you know, we well we have we have some resources that that have been produced uh, by our publishing house. I mean, for for starters, I mean, there's a book called Being Dad. For dads by uh, the executive director of 1517, Scott Keith, that is uh, a wonderful resource, at least as far as just kind of giving dads the, you know, the kind of tools for 
what it means to be actually a, a good present father. It might not necessarily give you, uh, it might not be designed to give you like, this is what you should think about this issue and this is how you should address it with your kids. It seems to me there's probably plenty of resources that deal with that out there uh, in the broader world. I mean, I know people like Dave Harvey, Paul Tripp, Tim Keller, et cetera, have produced resources that deal with maybe those culture, more culture issues if you have trouble thinking through it. Um, but uh, but it, that's just one resource that I've handed out to people being dad. I don't, Dan, do you have anything in particular? Um. I think I think kind of like if, if what you're asking about is, is sort of hey, how am I going to convey a biblical worldview when like I don't have like my biblical worldview like fully formed possibly yet, right? We have lawyers studying the Bible all day long. Where right. we have a congregation of coal miners who work ten, twelve, right. hours a day. Yeah. So how do I come home and train my children in biblical things? My yeah, yeah. And so I would say that this is why it's important um, to have a church that is actually going to teach like, the, the, the actual foundations of the faith, right? So that's that's number one is that you you want to actually be constantly refocusing people on Jesus. You want these kids to, to walk out in the world and they'll know what Christianity is about. Hopefully, that it's about what Christ has done. So that's that's why the church is important, right? Um, now, two, uh, and I don't know, I don't know what your guys is. <laughs> Uh, so hopefully this isn't a burn, uh, but I'll say it. So, uh, I don't know what your youth instruction pro- is like, whatever, but, um, so historically what the, the way the church addressed this was, uh, through catechesis. So you have the Catholic church has a cat, you know, they had the catechesis, the Lutheran church does catechesis, the, um, the Presbyterian church does catechesis, the Episcopalian church does catechesis. I think the Methodist church does catechesis as yeah. well. So all of your like sort of like old old tradition mainline sort of because they all have they all have catechisms. Now there's other catechisms, there's Baptist catechisms as well. Um, I I'm a I'm a big fan of catechesis. It seems old school. It seems like oh, I don't know like what we're doing catechisms like what, like what are we are we Roman Catholics like look like Roman Catholics didn't like you don't they don't you don't you don't throw the baby out with the baptismal water here guys like they, like that catechesis is a good idea. Uh, what it is, what this is, is it's, it's condensing the tenets of the faith, what, what like an actual creedal Orthodox Christianity into something that kids learn over the course of two years, and or then three, they, yeah. or three, depending on how you we we did two. Um, so like my daughter just finished that; they do it in seventh and eighth grade at our church. Some do it earlier than that. So seventh and eighth grade, and after those two years, that's what they that's what that's what she does on Wednesday night. She is like there with the pastor and. With the other group of kids, and they're not playing Xbox and eating pizza and drinking Mountain Dew and that kind of stuff. That's not they do that uh, another like time, other times. That's great, but that's not what this is. This is catechesis, and this is they have their their cate, their catechism, and they are learning these things, and they have they do memorization and they recite this stuff back. And at the very least, then when they get done with it and they enter into youth group phase, um, 
that work is done, and like, uh, and and they they know these things. They can recite the Apostles' Creed, and they know the Lord's Prayer, and they know the Ten Commandments, and they know the explanations of all these things, and they know what baptism is, and the Lord's Supper, and they know what justification is. And this, so they have a real, real good foundation of of what it means to be a Christian, like what it, what do Christians believe? Because ultimately, look. You're going to get out in the world like anybody is when they're young and you're going to face some question. You're going to meet somebody and they're going to be struggling with something and you're going to be like, oh, man, like, do I really have to believe that this person is going to hell or what does the Christian faith say about this, that or the other thing? And they're going to have to wrestle through those things. And they're going to come back. And they're going to talk to some pastor. They're going to talk to their parent and be like, man, I had this friend and this is going on, but I really care about him. And you're going to have to deal with tough questions. The main thing that you want intact like, okay, look, the guys, the thing that is important is that your kid, that that foundation stays intact so that they believe those things, because those are what, those are the things that, that make you a Christian, that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, was crucified for the sins of the world, and that He is my hope of salvation and my only hope of salvation. That's what you, that's the thing you want them to be. Not if they're wrestling over, like, I'm, try, I'm just trying to, Think through homosexuality or something. Like, I know that's a thing you're scared of, but that shouldn't be the thing you're scared of. The thing you should be scared of is that the devil doesn't care. Like, uh, like the devil might try to get your kid to like rethink homosexuality, but he doesn't give, he don't care. Like, if about that, he's only doing that to undermine the other thing. That's it. And so, as, as far as as far as I see it, like you have to drive that home, you have to get that foundation secure because you're gonna struggle with the other questions. You're gonna have to wrestle through those things. Everyone does. Uh, but the thing that the devil's ultimately after is not your. Ki- the devil's not trying to make your kids bad people. He's trying to make them unbelievers. Like that's that's how it works. He doesn't he doesn't your kid can be the most moral person on the face of the earth. As long as they don't believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God, the devil doesn't care. And I that and so we spend I think too much time worrying about um and I say this to someone that from the south, is this like prevalent in the south. Look, I'm not saying that I don't want my kid to act a certain way to be a good person. Like, and my kid is like overly a good person. Like, her problem is self righteousness. But um, I am less concerned about her messing up or having those kinds of questions than I am about her not believing in the tenets of the faith. And I think when we when we over worry. Not that you shouldn't be worried, but when if you're more worried about what the culture is going to say to your kid about sexuality or critical race theory or whatever it is that you happen to be wor- worried about, if you're more worried about that, then is the foundation set regarding Jesus Christ and his finished work for sinners? I would say that you you need to shift that. Because one of those things saves you and the other one doesn't. Um, so I, th- I just think that's a real, I don't think those things are good. Or I'm, I'm not like a supporter. I'm saying I am concerned that we, that the church is very distracted, uh, about, about these things. And I do think it's going to backfire. And I th- I'm afraid that the next generation, they won't be in church in 15 years either.
Just, just to your question, as far as you know, catechism or that sort of thing. What we just, as an example, like what we would do in, in the church I was at before, we took a position with fifteen seventeen, is we'd have a year where we'd do an overview of the Bible, so that the kids would know all of the biblical books and know the, the basic uh, uh, meaning behind all e- each book of the Bible throughout the year. The next year, we go through basic uh, doctrine by going over the Apostles' Creed, the Lord's Prayer. The Ten Commandments and um, and various other parts, and then the third year we go over apologetics to give them uh, defenses to deal with questions that will come their way in the culture. So all of it, though, was meant to equip, um, and that was the church that was doing that. While at the same time, uh, we would encourage parents to go over this with their kids. So the parents, I mean, and, and the church had the tools in order to equip the parents, you know, for that. So. There's a lot to the to answer the question, but that's at least I hope a starting point. Yeah, I, I, now my whole big rant there started with that um, catechism and catechesis in general. I think um, no matter what you no know, matter what tradition or denomination you are, uh, I would advise all churches of any denomination to find one that works for you, find one that you can agree with, and, and I would start doing that in sixth, seventh, or eighth, eighth grade that around, around that time. Uh, I think that it's um, something that the church has sort of not done um, over the last, you know, hundred years that we've really paid for. Um, so, I, yeah, I, mean, I think we think youth group's a good substitute for that. It's, it's really, it's really not. And not that there's not a problem with youth group, but I, I, this is catechesis served the church well for 1,700 years. Um, and so, I, I do think that there's a lot of them out there. There's a lot of different ones. Find, find one that. Yeah, maybe you guys do it. I don't know, but uh, find one. If you don't find one that that you guys be like, yeah, I can get this is good. I can get down with this, and um, yeah, I would start doing that. I think it's hugely important. I have a daughter that's 38 and niece that's 33. Their basic foundation is is set as Christians. But with this age group, and they both have come to me with this question that I do not know how to answer. How were they to show love to homosexual friends that they have in attending marriages that Mm. these... Mm -hmm. They both come to me with, these people were good friends of mine. I don't approve of what they're doing. How do I go to this wedding? If I don't go, they're going to look at me as judgmental. If I do go, am I? <laughs> so Yeah, so this yeah, is we, something that... We dealt with this. This yeah. is something we... I, I, first, I would say, uh, I think there's a, there's a huge difference... Between um, someone asking Tony to perform uh, any wedding and attending any, any wedding, so being in attendance in a wedding is not does not have the same uh, affirmation attached to it as performing it, right? So, so whereas. I'm not a pastor anymore, but, um, and, and by the way, once I stopped, I just said, I'm not doing weddings ever again, uh, cause I, I don't like them, but, uh, the, um, down with romance. Yeah. Not doing those weddings. 
no, sir. I, I liked funerals better than weddings. I, I could preach people into heaven, but funeral uh, weddings, I feel like people are getting into things they don't understand. But um, the uh, so I don't do weddings, but so like I would not perform. Like, so I wouldn't have performed a, a same sex wedding. Now, I have attended a same sex wedding. Now, this was a difficult decision for me. My wife, her aunt um, is gay and she was getting married. And I wasn't going to go. And her, my wife's mother, so my mother-in-law came to me and said, if you don't go, like she said, I understand that you like don't think that this is a good idea. And, um, but if you don't go, they're, they're going to ask me about it. And, I'm, and I can't explain it because I can't, I can't, I don't know all the reasons like you do. And, and it's going to be very, very difficult for me. Okay, could you please consider going? And at that moment, I actually thought, um, I thought about like Jesus trying to get like, the, the Pharisees trying to get Jesus in a bind with the law, right? Where they say, hey, is it lawful to do that, to heal someone on the Sabbath? Or then Jesus is like, oh, is it, is it if an animal falls in a pit on the Sabbath, can you pull it out? And this kind of stuff. And you start realizing that sometimes there's a tension in things. Where it's not just like clear cut, like, well, here's the right thing and here's the wrong thing. Sometimes like this very gray. And you're, now you're, now I'm sitting there with this, this question in my head of, am I going to create a situation for my mother-in-law and really my, that entire side of that family? Am I going to create that by not doing this? Looks like it. Like people are going to be offended, insulted. For what? And I had to ask myself this question, like, what exactly am I doing here? And the answer that I came to is, this is a good way for me to honor my mother-in-law. But also, by all I would be doing by not attending is making some kind of righteous stand that caused a bunch of disunity and dysfunction within within that side of my of my my wife's family. So what? I could feel like I did the right thing. I'm not doing anything for anyone but myself at that point. God doesn't need me to not be at a gay wedding. He's going to reign whether I don't do or don't go. But I was doing it. I would, if I didn't go, it would be for me. It'd be like I'm going to, I'm going to make this stand. And so I think that, um, and I started thinking about this too, and because I was like, have I thought every wedding that I've ever attended was a good idea? No. Like, right? And I started thinking about this. Like, I've attended weddings for people that I don't even know the other person. Like, I've attended weddings. Have you ever been to a wedding where your niece is getting married to some guy that you met one time and you don't know this guy? He could be an alcoholic, porn addicted wife beater for all you know, but you're there. Like, you're, I don't believe that your attendance means that I am in absolute support of this thing. I think that you're in attendance when you say, hey, I love you. That's different than performing it, which I think then you do have to take this stand and then you'd have, and then I'd be willing to maybe create that chaos in my family. But just being there, I do think that that's one of those moments where if your conscience will, conscience will allow you, you can say, um, hey, I love these people and I don't think me not being there is going to do anything for them. And if I don't go there, what am I doing? Like, I'm doing that for me so I can feel good about doing the righteous thing. And I kind of think that 
maybe the Pharisees would stand outside the gay wedding and say, like, hey, is Jesus in there, like, eating and drinking with homosexuals? I feel like that's kind of the way it is, because I know when when I read Jesus in the room with tax collectors and prostitutes, not ex-prostitutes, current prostitutes, and the Pharisees come up to Peter and say, is your master eating and drinking with, why is it, they say, why does he do this? Why does he eat and drink with tax collectors and prostitutes? And, G, and Peter says, I have no idea that sometimes that's the situation we find ourselves in. You're like, you know what, I might have to be like Jesus in this moment. Does that mean that Jesus is like big time into prostitution and tax collecting? Like, no, it doesn't mean that. But he is big time into loving sinners. And I don't think attending or being in the room with or going to a reception, I don't think that means that you're condoning the lifestyle of anyone. I've been to a lot of weddings that I hope that people aren't like, hey, Dan was at that wedding. That means he he affirms everything about this couple's lifestyle. I know a lot of heterosexual couples. I'm like, I think they make terrible decisions, by the way, but I'm here. Um, so I don't know if that's helpful or not. But that's how that's how I would deal with it. Um, it's not... It's, I don't think your attendance means that you somehow have compromised your um, your biblical values or something like that. I don't think it means that. I would just add to once once we start going down the road of endorsement and not endorsement, um, it beca- it can really open up a big you know rabbit trail that's really hard to know when to go down and when not to. So. I mean, you know, do you buy products that are produced by a CEO, you know, a company that's run by a CEO who's gay? Well, aren't you supporting his lifestyle if you buy those products? How far are you willing to go, you know, to research, to make sure, you know, that you're not supporting this lifestyle? I mean, it, it, it can, you can spend a whole lot of time trying to figure out who's worthy of your support and who's not. And in truth, if you scratch beneath the surface of anybody, you're going to find out no one's worth your support, including you. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it, so so it, it, that's not to diminish the difficulty of the scenario, because I, I, too, have experience with this on a very close level. But it is just to acknowledge that there is gray there, and it is not black and white. And... If it comes down to erring on the side of making sure this person knows that you care about them and love them, or this person feels that you feel that they're a pariah, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you to err on the side of loving them, even as you still are not even as you still stand for what you believe is true. Um, and and you can do both. You can do both. I'd be happy to talk to you about something more private in my life after this, if you're interested in which I think that's happened in my family's life. Um, but it can be done to where both sides feel a sense of respect and yet clearly know where they disagree. And that's okay. Mm-hmm. Is it time to do a podcast? I think so. You guys haven't heard nearly enough from us. Yeah, right. No. <laughs>